In Romans chapter 6, we're going to begin with verse 1, and it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer, of course, is in verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead live any longer therein? So in our uh, identification with Christ, we're going to uh, rehearse or review uh, the three points our identification with Christ is based upon. Number one is Jesus. Well, first we'll give you the definition for identification. Identification with Christ, according to Webster's Dictionary, it says to identify means to make identical, to consider or to treat as the same. To, to identify means to make identical, to consider or treat as the same. And then he said, God considered us to have been crucified with Christ, to have died with Christ, and to have been buried with Christ. So by identification, we mean that God identified us with Christ in his redemptive work in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So the first uh, point or fact that our identification with Christ is based upon is that Jesus was our substitute acting in our place so that we were accredited with what he did. Jesus was our substitute acting in our place so that we were accredited with what he did. Well, then, in the uh, book of Romans in chapter 5 and verse 8, in the 20th century translation, it says, God puts his love for us beyond all doubt by the fact that Christ died on our behalf while we were still sinners. And, of course, we've uh, preached along the line of this particular point, so we'll not go into the scriptures regarding that today. The second point is that Jesus became exactly what we were in spirit so that God viewed him as being us. He was treated as though he were us. We were identified with Christ. And then, of course, I'll give you one scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus was made to be our sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in union with him. Then number three is that we as believers are now in Christ, in union with him in our spirit. We are in Christ. He that is joined into the Lord is one spirit found in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and verse 17. So we as believers are in union with Christ in our spirits. So those three facts give us the basis of our identification with Jesus. Jesus was made to be our sin. He tasted our death. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not imputing the, their sins unto them, and is committed to us uh, the message of reconciliation. Well, then, uh, we're going back to uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So if we have died with Christ and we were crucified with Christ, then we are considered to be dead to sin. Now, um, we'll look at verse uh, 3 as well. Verse 3, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. As many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So we were baptized into Christ, and in doing so, we were baptized into his death. So then his death was indeed our death. His crucifixion was our crucifixion. His death was our death, meaning that we were immersed into the death of Jesus. So this is not water baptism. Uh, speaking of water baptism here, it's a, uh, a fact of reality that we were buried with him or baptized into him. Now, water baptism is an uh, example or is the enactment of our death and burial with Christ. We died with Christ. We were crucified with Christ. We died with Christ. We were buried with him, and then we were made alive and raised with him. Praise the Lord. So when you're baptized in water, it's an outward declaration of this spiritual fact that is uh, communicated here in this particular verse. So know you not that so many of us as were baptized or immersed into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So we were just like you were immersed in water, you were immersed into uh, the death of Christ, immersed into what his death produced on the cross for you and for me. So his death was our death. Are you with me? Then in verse 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him, buried with Christ by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the glory by the raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we were buried with him. Now, not only did you, were you crucified on the cross with Christ by identification, remember, to consider to treat as the same. So Jesus was treated as you on the cross because he was made to be your sin, and he suffered the penalty for your sin. And then Jesus was what died, and then he was buried, and you were identified with each step. You were identified with his crucifixion. You were identified with his uh, death. You were identified with his burial, and you're identified with his resurrection. So then in verse 4 again, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So as Jesus was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we now can walk in a new life. We have been given new life in Christ, and we can walk in this new life of Jesus, living the life of Christ in our lives. Remember, 
Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and I live now not with my own life, but with the life of Christ, a new life that God has given to us in the person of Christ. So we have a new life, and we can, in this body, live out this new life of Jesus. So again, he says in verse 4, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also are raised by the glory of the Father. We have this new life in Christ, and we've been raised by the glory of the Father God. Hallelujah. Now, I want to uh, read this to you in a couple other quotes. Uh, William Newell says, says this about it. It says, uh, the death that Christ died carries with it death to sin. The death that Christ died carries with it the death to sin. Christ is not dying continually to sin, but one time we are to reckon ourselves dead in the death that he died. His death then was our death. Somebody say, his death was our death. So then we'll go to uh, verse 5. It says, for if we have been planted in the, together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. If we have been planted together in his, the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So if we, were, if we died with Christ, we were we crucified with Christ, we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, we were planted together with him, planted together with Christ. His death was our death, his burial, our burial, his resurrection, our resurrection. So we have been planted together with Christ. Everybody say planted together. With Christ in his death. Uh, one translation says that you would be fellow plants in the garden of his death and also in his resurrection, fellow plants in his resurrection. All right, then go to the next verse. We were planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified, knowing this, that our old man is crucified, is or was. Remember, 
Uh, we talked about the past tense of these verses. Uh, the past tense meaning that it, has, it was a definite past fact that uh, his death was your death, his crucifixion was your crucifixion, his burial was your burial, and his being made alive or resurrection was your resurrection. And so his resurrection being your resurrection, you've been raised together with Christ to a new life in him. Can somebody say God is good? So, uh, knowing this, that our old man uh, is crucified or was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So, we should no longer, from this point, we should no longer serve sin. Somebody say, no longer. Be a servant of sin. Or we could say, sin shall not dominate me. Hallelujah. So this knowing, again, is a coming to know, getting to know, uh, coming into a knowledge of the death of Christ, coming into a knowledge of your crucifixion with Christ, coming into a knowledge of uh, the fact that you were crucified with Christ when he was crucified. So then in verse, verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin, or he that has died is freed from sin. So let's consider uh, the verses and just read them with the past tense. Verse 3, know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead. Therefore, we are, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also now are to walk in newness of life living this new life in Christ. For if we have been planted, have been planted, in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is or was crucified or has been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin would no longer dominate. The body of sin might be destroyed. For he that is dead is freed from sin, or he that has died is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. If you have died with Christ, then you will also, you also have life in him. Thank you, Jesus. So then we're going to the next verse. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. 
Death hath no more dominion over him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Death no longer dominates him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. In that he died, he died unto sin once. His death was a once and for all death. I'm going to read that to you, uh, a quote from Newell again. So in uh, one quote from Newell says it this way, we by God's grace or God's word here come to know, he's talking about verse 6, that our old man was crucified with Christ. We, by God's word here, come to know that our old man was crucified with Christ. The manner in which we come to know our old man was crucified is by faith in God's testimony to the fact. It's by faith in God's testimony to the fact. The matter of our vital connection with Christ Crucifixion and death are facts that we come to know. So you don't create the facts. You come to know the facts. You come into the reality of the facts. You come to know the facts of your crucifixion with Christ. His crucifixion was your crucifixion. His death was your death. His burial was your burial. His being made alive or his resurrection was your resurrection. So we don't make the facts, we acknowledge the facts, or we come to know the facts. Thayer says this, says, for the word, I'm going back to verse 6, it's commentary on verse 6 now. He said, the Greek word for know here means to get to know, to get to know, to come in the, into the knowledge of, to become acquainted with the fact become acquainted with the fact. So we become acquainted with the fact, we come to know the facts, and these facts are facts. This is reality. This is what God has done for us in Christ. So the matter of our vital connection with Christ, crucifixion and death are facts that we come to know, come into a knowledge of. And then uh, W. E. Vine says it this way, uh, he says it signifies to be taking in knowledge, to come to know, recognize, understand, and understand completely. To come into the knowledge of, to come to know, to recognize, to understand completely. So it is a growing uh, faith in the facts, a growing knowledge of the facts. Thank you, Jesus. So considering again, now, verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dies no more, 
Death hath no more dominion over him. Knowing that Christ. So it's coming to know. All right, verse 6 is knowing this. Verse 9, knowing this. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. So death no longer has dominion over us. Jesus has overcome death. Hallelujah. So he dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. For in that he died, he died to sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. For in that he died, he died to sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. So he died to sin once, but he lives continually to God. He lives continuously to God. I'm going to read that from uh, Pilcher's translation. It says it this way, Do not allow sin to exercise dominion over you through your mortal body so that you should obey its lust. Do not allow That's actually for verse 12, excuse me. Verse 10 in the Pilcher translation says, His death to sin was a death which he died once and for all. His death to sin was a death which he died once and for all. His life is a life, is an eternal life lived to God. His life is an eternal life lived to God. And then Wood's translation says it this way. His death carries with it death to sin. His life, life to God. His death carries with it death to sin. His life, life to God. So with the death, it is a death to sin. It's not just... We were dead in sins. That was our condition. We were dead in sins. Jesus died for our sins, and Jesus died unto sin. We were dead in sins. Jesus died for our sin, and Jesus died unto sin, and we died with him. You follow that? Again, we were dead in sins. Jesus died for our sin, and Jesus died unto sin. So his death was a death to sin. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Hallelujah. Barclay says it this way for verse 10. It says, for in the death that he died, he died once and for all to sin. And in the life that he lives, he lives continuously to God. In the death he died, he died once and for all to sin. But in the life that he lives, he lives continuously to God. So it is a continual life. It is an ongoing life. Jesus' life is not just one-time resurrection, but it continues to flow from that resurrection to you and to me, flows into our spirit, into our lives, the resurrection of Christ. 
So in the life that he lives, he lives continuously to God. But his death to sin was once and for all. So this is a once and for all death. He's not trying to make it happen again. It happened once, and it happens again or reacted in us. It's a reactment of the resurrection that occurred in the person of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So it's a continuous life that flows in us and flows through us. Hallelujah. Now then in the next verse, in verse 11, verse 11, it says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now if you consider the verse before again, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives, lives unto God. He died to sin once, but he lives continuously to God. Verse 11 says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves, or in the same way, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are to reckon or consider ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God. Reckon. Well, what does the word reckon mean? What does it mean to, to reckon? Well, I'll give you um, a few translations and also some definitions as well. Pilcher says, do not allow sin to exercise its dominion over you. Do not allow sin to exercise its dominion over you through your mortal body so that you should obey its lust. So don't allow sin to exercise dominion over you that you should obey its lust. Okay, I'll say it again. <laughs> Do not allow sin to exercise dominion over you through your mortal body so that you should obey it in its lust. Don't allow sin to control. Now then, uh, the word reckon in Strong's, it says to estimate or to conclude or to count. It means to uh, count or uh, you count up the facts, so to speak. Uh, then W. Vine says it, it is properly used of a numerical calculation. It means to consider, to calculate, translated to reckon in Romans uh, 6.11. It means to consider, to calculate. So you're counting up the facts. Lego is, is the word here. It says it, to say, to speak. When he says to reckon, it means to say or to speak. Also has the meaning of gather, to reckon, or to account. And then, uh, so you're, you're saying, you're declaring, you're decreeing uh, what God's Word says. Uh, you're counting up the facts, and then you're acting as if it were true. You're counting on the facts. Then we says to reckon, it means to count, to compute, to take into account. Now, reckoning oneself dead to sin 
and alive to God does not make one so. God constituted the saint so when he saved him. God constituted the saint so when he saved him. But the act of reckoning brings into better operation with beneficial results the working of this inner spiritual machinery. I'll read that again. Now, the reckoning oneself dead to sin does not, does not make it so. God constituted the saint so. Remember, you were identified with Christ in his crucifixion. You were identified with Christ in his death. So when God did it, God constitutes the saint so as well to consider or to treat as the same. You follow me? To consider or to treat as the same. So God constituted the saint so when he saved him. But the act of reckoning brings into better operation with beneficial results the working of this inner spiritual machinery. So this inner spiritual machinery being the life of God in you, the Christ in you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So what's in you is this life of God, and you're reckoning it so, or you're uh, counting on the facts. You count up the facts basically in verses uh, 1 through uh, 12 here. Or verse, uh, you count up the facts, and then you act accordingly. Uh, Thayer says to reckon or ta- account mean it means to uh, it means to reckon or account, and then tr- you treat accordingly. You treat accordingly. Well, you act accordingly. You act as if it were so. You speak as if it were so. You speak as if it were done. You. Declare as if it were already done, because it is. You act like it's true, you speak like it's true, and you declare it to be true because you've counted up the facts. Like an accountant does not uh, count up money that's not there, if he's honest, right? And so if... uh, if you, it would be like taking inventory. When you take inventory uh, in a business, you take inventory. What do you do? You count up all the materials, all of the different items that that particular company uh, has as product, and you count it up, and uh, then uh, you state that as the fact. This is what we have. You count on the facts. And uh, if you uh, come with stuff missing... You know, when you take inventory and uh, where did that go? But it doesn't all uh, line up with the accounting of the numbers of things that we have and what should have gone out and what uh, has gone out. Then uh, you could find that there is a discrepancy and then you've got to find out what happened, right? But when you're counting on the facts, you know, you count your money or you count... Uh, count the facts, uh, then what are you doing? You're, you're stating what is actual. And so what we're doing when we talk about our identification with Christ, we're stating what is actual. You're declaring or you are decreeing or you are 
uh, speaking or you are saying what is the fact or the reality and what you believe, of course, based on the facts. And there used to be a, a television program uh, called Dragnet, which is a long time ago, which dates me. But I remember when they would go to the, uh, go to the house where, where they were dealing with an issue in that, uh, in that particular residence or whatever situation they may uh, be going and dealing with, uh, they would go on with the story, you know, telling them the story, and he would just say, the facts, ma'am, the facts, just the facts, just give us the facts. And so when it comes to God's Word, uh, the facts, just give us the facts. What are the facts? The facts are this. What? You count up the facts. The facts are, I was crucified with Christ, right? Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. The facts are this. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Therefore, we are buried. Therefore, we are what? Buried with him. So we were crucified with him. That is a fact. We were buried with him. That is a fact. What's, what's next? You were, you, you were crucified. You died with Christ. You were buried with him. Then what? You were made alive with him. In uh, verse uh, 4 again, that Christ, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So you're basically going through the facts. And that's why he wants you to now take account of what you have. Take account of what you have in Christ. And then you speak. You say it. You declare it. You decree it. Reckon means to say. It means to speak. It also has the meaning of gathering, accounting, or reckoning. So you're counting on the facts. You're counting up the facts in verses 1 through uh, 12. And then you're acting accordingly and speaking accordingly. You're speaking what the facts are. You are acting as if these facts are true. You're acting on the Word of God. Somebody say action. Speaking brings results. The act of reckoning, according to uh, Wiest again, says the act of reckoning brings into better operation with beneficial results the working of this inner spiritual machinery. The act of reckoning brings into better operation with beneficial results of this inner spiritual machinery. So then what's in Christ is in you. You were identified with Christ to consider or to treat as the same. The same crucifixion, the same death, the same burial, the same uh, being made alive, the same resurrection, the same as Christ. So he said, reckon yourself. Dead indeed unto sin. We're going back there again. Verse 11, 
Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Wood's translation renders it this way. So reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in your union with Christ. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in your union with Christ. Reckon yourself. Consider yourself. And then we says, says this about the word reckon. It says to reckon or to count, to compute. So you see all of them are giving uh, some of the same things. Again, I'm saying it again. Uh, the act of reckoning brings into better operation with beneficial results uh, the working of this inner spiritual machinery. So the Christian counts on the facts. Look at your neighbor and say the facts. Look at your other neighbor and say the facts, ma'am. This is a Or look at him and say, the facts, sir. <laughs> the first part didn't work for everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Everybody say the facts. the facts. Thank God for the facts. The facts of our redemption in Christ. The uh, counting on the facts of your crucifixion, of your death, of your burial, of your being made alive, of your uh, ascending. Amen. Uh, your uh, seating at the right hand of the Father as well. So all of these are facts. These are uh, spiritual realities that we can count on. We can acknowledge. We can uh, act accordingly. Praise the Lord. Uh, 